You're listening to the Growth Experts Podcast. So if you're looking to 10X your business by learning proven growth strategies, you're in the right place. During my interviews with top CEOs, entrepreneurs, and marketers, I dig deep to uncover the real strategies, hacks, and tools to help you achieve your goals. And I'm your host, Dennis Brown. In the last episode, Kevin Rogers shares how to create and leverage your 60-second sales hook to win more clients. Hey everyone, this week we're giving away a six-month subscription to leadquizzes.com valued at $300. Leadquizzes helps you create interactive lead generation quizzes to help you grow your email list. This is the same software I use to generate over 20,000 leads for my business in 2017. For a chance to win, subscribe to the podcast, then take a snapshot or picture showing you're subscribed and text it to 716-218-8981 or email it to growthexperts at yahoo.com. Now let's get back to the show. Welcome, everybody. Today we have another amazing guest. Her name is Elaine Pofelt, and she is a freelance writer, editor, ghostwriter, who's recently worked with publications including The Economist, Fortune, Money, Inc., CNBC, and many, many more. She writes and specializes in entrepreneurship, small business, and careers, and she recently published a new book, and it's called The Million Dollar One-Person Business, Make Great Money, Work the Way You Like, and Have the Life You Want. So I want to welcome my guest, Elaine, to the show. Welcome, Elaine. Thank you so much, Dennis. It's great to be here. Yeah, thank you for joining me. I mean, we were chatting before our interview here. And it's really, really interesting, the six degrees of separation. We know some of the same people. You've been a writer for many, many, many years. And I've been fortunate to meet some incredible authors and writers and ghostwriters. And so it's really kind of a small world, isn't it? Oh, it definitely is. Yeah, that was kind of fun running through the list of the people that we both know. Yeah. So really quick, I know that you've got this book. When did it launch? It came out on January 2nd. Um, Random House released it that day, and it's available on Amazon and other major booksellers. Yeah, and I read some great reviews, and I heard things are going really well. We're definitely going to dive into that book and some of the some of the things that you uncovered during your research and what anybody could gra- you know grasp from the book itself. So, can you tell us a little bit about the book and why listeners you know should consider reading it? Sure. Well, the book looks at people in non-employer businesses, and that's government lingo for businesses with no employees except the owner. So it could be one-person businesses or partnerships. Mostly it is one-person businesses that are breaking $1 million in revenue or more. So they're um, generally in the category of from one to $2.49 million. And how I started writing it was sort of an accident. I came across census statistics showing that there was this pocket of entrepreneurs who are in that category. And I got curious because I was a freelance writer. I knew a lot of freelancers and I didn't know there were freelancers making that much money in a one-person business. So I started slicing and dicing the census data and trying to figure out, okay, what industries are they in? And I found out they were in a whole bunch of different industries, e-commerce, manufacturing, professional services, real estate, um, quite a few actually, but I couldn't find out very much more than that. So on my Forbes blog, 
I wrote to these owners and I said, if you're among this group, I would like to know more about you. What do you do? You know, tell me how you grew your business. And this was about three years ago. And they started writing to me and I started profiling them individually. I had one post that went really viral in the beginning that helped, um, I guess, encourage a lot of other people to write to me. And I wound up having a whole group of case studies and turned them into this book. In the book, what I did was look at some of the common threads among the businesses. And I think that was what was really interesting. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. I mean, I love that. That That's what kind of drew me to you when I, when I saw the book was launching and then we had some connections in common. I was just like, you kind of drew me in and that's why I reached out and wanted to have you on the show. So, you know, I know during, you just talked about these case studies. So why don't we kind of peel back the onion a little bit and talk a little bit about them? You know, why don't you talk about any, you know, the ones that you think are most compelling or interesting, some of the case studies you talk about in the book? Sure. Well, I'll I'll give you a sampling of some of the different types of businesses. One of the businesses in the book is called Tropical Trader Specialty Foods, and it's run by a husband and wife team, Rebecca Cronus and Luis Zavalos. And they sell organic honey online through their website and various retail channels. And they have an interesting story. Her father is a beekeeper, and they discovered that he, he sells the bees to commercial farms but he wasn't doing very much with the honey. And they knew there was a big market for organic honey in the U.S. because there have been some problems with adulterated honey and that sort of thing. And so they built a business around that demand and that, that it's doing quite well. They're in California. Corey Binsfield, who's um, in his 50s, is a financial planner. And years ago, he decided to also invest in some real estate, but he didn't have very much money. He was just starting out. So he would buy residential duplexes And over time, he bought 116 different apartments. And that combined brings in over a million dollars in revenue. He's based in Duluth, Minnesota. He picked, he knew that community because he had grown up there and he picked a smaller market. He had been living in San Francisco before he did this. And it was so expensive to buy property there. It made more sense to do it in Duluth. Megan Telpner is a nutritionist. She runs a nutrition and wellness site called MeganTelpner.com. And she, she suffered from Crohn's disease about 10 years ago and started studying nutrition to heal herself. And the website was an outgrowth of that. And she took it even further and created a school for other people that want to learn how to cook the way that she does and about nutrition. It's called the Academy of Culinary Nutrition. And so that's an example of sort of a health and wellness related business. Another person in the book is John Johnson. He's in his 50s. He was working in real estate finance during the last economic collapse that we all remember. And, and he saw the writing on the wall. He, he kind of knew his job could be in jeopardy. And before they closed the branch of his company, he started a side business where he would sell things like police riot gear and that sort of thing, municipal equipment um, to government entities. And then he started a second business that sells kits to protect hospital workers from bloodborne illness. It's called ppekits.com. And he, between the two businesses, and he's just one man, generated $2.8 million in 2016. Wow. So hold on a second. Yeah. So what I'm, what I'm hearing here is that, I mean, these are all very, very different businesses. If you had, if you had like a, a written profile of each one, they have very, very little in common and they're all in these different industries, 
some are online, some are offline, some are more traditional, some are more, you know, new age type businesses. I mean, what did you see as some of the things they had in common? Because clearly they have some diversity, but what did they had? What did they all have in common? What did you find? Dennis, that's the really interesting thing. They are so buried. And I, just in knowing more and more of them, there are no two that are alike, but they do have a lot in common. And one of the things is, is a mindset. And what I found that differentiates them from all the entrepreneurs in one person businesses and partnerships that are just sort of struggling, never quite paying the bills, is that they find ways to extend what one or two people can do so that they can accomplish more on a shoestring. So for instance, outsourcing is a common thing that they might do. One of the entrepreneurs in the book is named Harry Ein, and he has a business selling swag, which is those tote bags that have a company name printed on them or mugs. And what he does is in his industry, there is a company that does back office support for these swag businesses. <laughs> and so he, he outsources things like doing his invoicing to this company so that he can focus on the higher level tasks like winning new corporate business and really grow the business. And he actually brings in $3.5 to $4 million a year working from his garage. When you wow. think about just that one simple step of letting go of those tasks and outsourcing them to somebody else and how it empowered him to grow his business, it's, it's really amazing. And I think a lot of them think that same way. So another thing that I before you move was, on, before you move on, I'm sorry. I just want to take, I want to peel that back a little bit because the first thing that came to mind when you mentioned that was Tim Ferriss's Four Hour Workweek, right? You know, he talks a lot about obviously outsourcing and automation and things like that. So that's the first thing that came to mind. I mean, was that kind of some of the parallels that you saw when you were doing your research? Yes, Dennis. In fact. A lot of them were inspired by Tim Ferriss. And on December 30th, I wrote a guest post for the Tim Ferriss blog that looked at a handful of the entrepreneurs and exactly how they were inspired by Tim Ferriss. We, we sort of reverse engineered it and looked at how the things that they had learned from that book and then how they applied it to their specific business. So that was definitely a powerful impetus for a number of the entrepreneurs in the book. It's amazing how powerful one book can be. But those who didn't necessarily outsource in that way to a service often use contractors too. So, you know, that's something where you might go to an Upwork or freelancer.com and find somebody to do something that they don't like to do and so that they can spend more time on the things that they do like to do. Or they, they'll find very high level contractors. So one person in the book, Sol Orwell, he's based in Toronto. He got interested in vitamins and nutrition because he was losing weight and he wanted to find accurate information he could trust on different supplements he was taking. And he was frustrated with what he found on the market. So he started a site called examine.com that publishes reports on nutritional supplements, but he was not an expert in the topic, even though he read a lot about it on his own. So he hired PhDs and expert nutrition researchers to write the definitive reports on vitamin D or any in any nutritional topic that he thought was relevant. And he built that to a million dollar one person business. But in addition to those contractors, he also hired a contractor who has a small amount of equity in the company to run it for him because he loves to travel the world. He travels three or four months out of the year. He doesn't want to be there in the weeds managing the business all the time, but he wants it to be successful. 
So this is the mindset that's different from somebody who's sort of toiling away in the trenches of their business. They're willing to trust a service or somebody else to help them with the business. Another key piece of the puzzle is automation. I think that in general, while a lot of these people are not techies, they are open to technology and they will look for things that free up time for them where they can automate key functions in the business. So um, for instance, Alan Walton started Spy Guy, which is an online spy camera store. And he has an interesting story. He was an $11 an hour retail clerk in a store that sold spy cameras. And in the course of doing his work, he got almost a graduate education in which spy cameras were better than others. And by spy cameras, I mean something that, for instance, if you had a disabled child and you want to make sure they're not being abused by a caregiver, you might have a camera in the house to, to keep an eye on things. Or that, a teenage the, daughter, right? <laughs> because my daughter's, about, my daughter's about to turn 13, okay, in, in oh, the next year. So, yeah. I have two 14-year-old twin daughters, so... <laughs> Not a bad idea, I guess. But he, what he did was, as he built the business, he was filling the orders himself. And he realized what a monumental task it was to pack up all these cameras and put them in the envelopes, etc. So he wound up using a software called Shipping Easy to automate parts of the shipping process. Other, other folks have gone as far as to do drop shipping or use fulfillment by Amazon to just take that whole process off their hands. So they can keep focusing on growth and brand building and marketing, all those things that drive the business to higher revenue. And I think it, we can all learn a lot about this because as entrepreneurs, we tend to be do-it-yourselfers. And sometimes that can make us our own worst enemy. Absolutely. Without a doubt. So number one was the mindset. Number two is automation. Is there a three? Well, three, I think, would be the outsourcing and use of contractors. Okay. It would be finding help. Because one of the things that I think might be a gut reaction to a title of the million dollar one person business, it might sound like it's a selfish person. But in fact, these people are part of a community. They're not in isolation. They're not working alone. They may be the only employee in the business, but that doesn't mean they're the only person supporting the business. So they have a whole web of interdependent people that work with them, that they hire whose businesses they are contributing to by hiring them and who support them. And they're, they're great connectors with other people. And they're great users of things like LinkedIn and Twitter. In fact, I met Sol Orwell through Twitter. He tweeted something to me. But they are really adept at reaching out to others and finding the support that they need and at helping others too. Yeah, absolutely. So, so let me ask you this. I want to, this is kind of like a little tangent, but did you uncover in all your discussions, did you uncover any, let's call it maybe like productivity hacks? I was talking to a friend this morning about productivity hacks and I told him one of mine on how with my, how I remind myself every day of my, of my yearly goals, right? So every year we're in January, remember recording this for everybody just so they know. So everybody's doing their goals and I do five personal goals and five business goals. That's all I do. And those are my primary focus. Well, what I do is I take those goals and I open up a calendar like my Google calendar or Outlook or whatever. And I create a calendar event, a recurring event every day, seven days a week. And it pops up with those goals at 730 in the morning every day. And now I've been doing this for a decade now, over a decade. Okay. And, you know, to me, it's worked extremely well because it, what happens is every day I come in, 
I see those goals. I have to look at them because I can't close it without seeing them. And then from there, I compare that to my to-do list. And then what happens is if the things in my goals are not directly in line with the things in my to-do list, I outsource them, I delegate them, or I cross them off the list. So that's kind of my little hack, right? That's what I do. So, I mean, did you ever uncover anything like that in your discoveries or is there is there one that you would want to chat about? Oh, definitely, Dennis. And since you've built three multi-million dollar companies, I'm definitely going to borrow that hack for myself. I, <laughs> I like that a lot. That's a great hack. It's so um, simple. Yeah. I mean, it's so simple. I did find, this is what I would recommend, just based on what everyone said. I would look for a way to free up seven hours of time a week using different time-saving apps in your business. So for instance, I use an app called Schedule Once. There's another one called Calendly to set up appointments so that you're not emailing back and forth. Are you free at 11 a.m.? Oh, no, I can't do it that day. You know, you just send people a link with your available times and they can choose a time that works for them. In a business like my own, where I work with a lot of different people and I have a lot of appointments, that saves me two or three hours a week every single week of the year. So there's three hours yeah, a day. Game changer. Or three, yes, yes. Yes, exactly. Total um, game changer. I use Calendly. I've been using it for well over a year. Love it, love it, love it. It's amazing. And then once you've started using it, you can't imagine how your life was before you, <laughs> you exactly. used it. Um, and the other thing I would say is use a mileage tracker because we all have to keep track of all kinds of details for our accountants in order to make sure we're taking the proper deductions, et cetera. And I just found... It was very tedious writing down the mileage. And this thing is, I use something called Everlance on my phone. It works really well and it catches a lot of trips that I forgot about. So it's probably saving me money. I forget how much it costs, probably about $60 a year, but I'm sure it will pay for itself. So there's another one where I, I probably would have spent like a half an hour to an hour if you added up all the stray minutes, writing down all my mileage and figuring out where I went and that sort of thing. Yeah, I hope the IRS um, is not listening, but I am lousy at that. A lot of people are, but you know what? If you just do, I, I would say, you know, just take five minutes and load it onto your phone, hook it up to your car, and then you'll never have to worry about it again. The other thing would be to, this will save a lot of time, is to attach your accounting software to your bank account and to your business credit card if you haven't already done it. I just actually spent three hours <laughs> working with my accounting software because somehow the file got corrupted and I had been relying on it automatically updating and it stopped and they, they figured out the database was corrupted and needed to be fixed. But I realized how much time it was saving me because I wasn't manually entering the stuff in the interim where it wasn't working. And so that and you can do it securely if you have a bookkeeper or an accountant working in your in your accounting software, you give them accountants access so that if you ever had a fear that they might access your personal bank account or your credit card, they cannot access it right. unless they're a hacker yeah. of some sort. But in that case, you have other problems. So if you look for some things like that, right off the bat, I think you could easily free up five, six or seven hours a week where you can work on the big picture, like strategy and step away from the business and think about what really matters to you in the business. And it might not only be business concerns, it might be lifestyle concerns. Because one reason people start one person businesses is they want more time, they want more control over their schedule. They don't want to answer to a corporate boss about what, you know, maybe they'd like to go mountain biking at lunchtime for two hours instead of the one hour lunch break. <laughs> they just don't, they don't want to do that anymore. And they also 
I want more time with their family, which sometimes in a very scaled up business as an entrepreneur, even though you're quite successful financially, you may not have much time and you can miss out on years of your family's life. And so when people go to micro businesses, often it's because of lifestyle considerations. So you want to think about all of these things and is it all working together for you? Yeah. One of the things that I really, the takeaway for me on this, and I haven't even read it yet, but I look forward to it, is that, you know, what I see a lot of entrepreneurs doing is not really creating businesses. What I see them doing is creating jobs for themselves. They're getting it. They have a high paying job. And, exactly. the re- and the reason why is because they fail to do a lot of the things you talk about. They fail to do outsourcing. They, they're lousy at delegating. They're bad at time management. Their productivity, they don't have these productivity hacks that they've built in. And what happens is they just, they work themselves to the bone. They make a lot of money. Let's say they make a hundred or 200 or 300 or even a half a million bucks a year, which is good money. But the problem is they're time starved, right? And so you you can always make more money. Money comes and goes, right? We all know that time is one of those things you can just never, ever, ever get back. And I mean, it, it means a lot to me right now, because again, my daughter just turned 12 Happy birthday, Maggie. And I, and, and, you know, and I, and I look at how quickly those 12 years went, just like we all do as we have kids. And, um, so that's one of the reasons why I would urge people to get the book. I mean, I, I haven't even read it yet, but I'm going to tell you, I'm going to get it because I think if you, you know, just based on what you're telling me here, I think it really resonates with my personal experience ever having met and worked with literally hundreds and hundreds of business owners over the year. And this is a common, common problem. Oh, it is a common problem. I can't tell you how many entrepreneurs have told me they don't really regret anything except missing the first 10 years of their child's life. And that's a big thing to miss. And I think if you feel like you are, you can't wait to do something about it. It's an emergency. You really have to do something now because as you said, time goes very fast. I have four children myself, ages seven through 14. And I feel like I had at one point I had my three girls in a triple stroller and I look at them now and my two daughters are taller than me. And I think, well, I just had you in a triple stroller. <laughs> you know? and, and now they're almost grown women. You know, it goes very, very fast. And yes. I think that, you know, it's just easy to get caught up in business. I think entrepreneurs are very passionate. And the reason they miss out on family life isn't because they're bad people. It's just that they have a lot of demands on their time. And if you don't step back and rethink things a little bit, you can really, really miss out in a way that you might regret. So I think, you know, you could start all over again today if you want to. And that was one of the reasons I wrote the book, because I feel that many people do feel trapped, whether in a corporate career or in a very scaled up business where they're on a treadmill. And they just never have any time. And often what makes them rethink things is a health scare. But you don't want to get to that point. It needs to be addressed right now. And so this gives some ideas on how real people are doing it. And these aren't, some of the people have MBAs, some people have a high school education. It's not a matter of having a certain credential. It's a matter of running the business a certain way. And they were so open about exactly what they do. It wasn't like I was interviewing corporate CEOs who are so careful and so close to the vest and go out of their way to try to say nothing to me. <laughs> These folks were, were so generous. I, I, that's one thing that really stood out. They, they were so willing to share what worked for them because I think they realized that even if someone copied their idea, it would be executed differently, that each person is unique. And so it doesn't matter if they share. They were just so open. 
Perfect. Well, listen, I really enjoyed the four hour work week, and I think I'm going to enjoy the million dollar one person business even more. So that's going to pretty much wrap it up for today, Elaine. Could you do me a favor and let everybody know how they can connect with you? And most importantly, how can they get the book? Sure. Well, thank you so much. Dennis. It's been a pleasure. It's really fun to speak with someone who is interviewing me, who is an entrepreneur, because I know you know this stuff inside and out. They can find the book on Amazon. It's called The Million Dollar One Person Business, or they could go to the website of themilliondollaronepersonbusiness.com. There is a contact me box there so they can write to me if they have any questions. And I welcome them to do that. I love hearing from entrepreneurs. Love it. Thank you so much for being on the show. I think I'm going to try to have you back on because I'd like to have a follow-up episode where we could talk a little bit more about your writing career because I think that's it's always been a struggle for me, the writing piece, and so thus I'm podcasting, of course. But uh, I think there might be a follow-up to this. So listen, I've really enjoyed it. Thanks for joining me and have an awesome day. That sounds great, Dennis. Thank you so much. Listeners, I want to thank you for tuning in. I truly appreciate your time. If you're enjoying the podcast, then do me a huge favor. Click the subscribe button now and please leave me a review. It would mean a lot to me.